What's up, everyone? This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols and Gongs. And if you are listening to this and you are in the Pittsburgh area on March 7th, the guys from Dream, along with their artist Scott Pellegram, are going to be at the Church Recording Studio on Dartmoor Street. That is March 7th. They're going to be there from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. They're bringing, I believe, about 50 different models for you to check out and purchase if you dig them. Scott's going to be their demo stuff. And also, they, um, they're just opening the floor. So if you want to sit down and just play, check out stuff. It's a loose, informal hang. Again, and that's March 7th from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Church Recording Studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Go to Facebook, uh, search for the Dream Hang, and you'll find an event there. You can RSVP and get all the, you know, the address and all that stuff. So that's it. Dream Symbols. Let's get the show rolling. All right. Happy Friday. Good. Happy Friday indeed. <laughs> March 1st. Oh. It's officially March, and it's snowing here in New York. Oh, the day. The day that the before the podcast becomes the podcast, that's going to get a trillion downloads. My goodness. Uh, all right, before we get caught up, let's just talk quickly about what's coming up today. It is episode 181. Does that sound right? It is correct. Awesome. Well, we're going to be talking about a little bit of education, transitioning between eighth notes and the controversial sex tuplets because mm-hmm. drummers can't say the word sex without giggling we will be doing that in double strokes which I think is something that unless you've tried it you don't know how hard it is our featured artist is Mr. Kiko Freitas we're going to be checking out a Rogers Dynasonic drum and I am super stoked about my pick of the week just nice. letting you know right now that's that's cool. called a tease in the industry <laughs> well mine at the end and the beginning might actually mine might actually shift I'm going to go ahead and make the correction now so I think it was maybe last week or two weeks ago. I I called the product the wrong thing. The big fat snare drum quesadillas is the cloth drum heads that go over top of the drums. I called it okay. something else. I don't know what I called it, but they were like, "Yeah, wrong Mexican food." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then now they have an idea for their next product. They're like, "Okay, so the, the big fat drum head frittata, the egg based version, comes Ew. out next week." <laughs> So anyway, I think I, that might have been a pick a week, couple of weeks ago. But it's basically they're they're like canvas cloth things, go over your drum heads. If you haven't checked them out, go to the Big Fat Snare Drum website, check them out. They're really cool. I'm taking them to a gig uh, this weekend. I know it's going to need to be super quiet. Okay, I, off topic. I was just going to ask you. So these are serving two purposes. They're quieting down your drums so people could use them as practice things, but yep. they're also changing the tone of your drums. And yeah. for gigging drummers, they give you that option too. Yeah, it's kind of like the tea towel. Without, okay. But they're you know they're cut so they fit right in the hoop. You don't have to tape it down. I mean, you probably should maybe tape it down a little bit if you hit hit them really hard. But I've had no issue with them flying off. So they're just a simple simple uh, solution to using t-shirts and things like that. Got it. So anyway, very, that's my correction. Cool. Sorry, BFSD for I don't know what I called it, but they're called quesadillas. <laughs> have you? Did you have a, a a clinic since last time we talked? Yes, I was at the Delaware Drum Show, which was last yeah. um, Sunday. It was awesome. Uh, great crowd, great event. I had no idea that it was going to be that cool of an event. I'd never been. Um, it was in uh, Newcastle, Delaware, but it was just, just a bunch of cool people. It's, it's great to see that the drum community comes out and supports these shows. It was a lot of um, custom shops there with cool. their, their you know, one-offs and then some, some like, uh, like Hawthorne 
drum shot like those yeah. that wooden weather uh, what's it called wooden wooden weather wooden yeah. weather was there so it was a cool show um, definitely thanks to Joe Meckler for inviting me down to present I was shocked at how many people came out I think there was maybe close to 100 people in this sweaty little room that's um, so cool and a lot of people listen to the podcast so I'm glad to finally meet a lot of podcast listeners in the flesh that's always humbling it reminds Do me you, we can't quit no matter what we can't right quit. Yeah, I, know, I know it's become kind of a bit of a responsibility but do you think that a lot of those people there listen to luke's intro groove <laughs> i'm just curious because i've been listening to it for the last oh, four goodness. minutes luke were you at the were you at my clinic on sunday if so i'm terribly sorry <laughs> So that beat was Luke. We we were kind of screwing up your name. I think it's Farron, 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 Luke Farron. Let's go with that. I like that. That's an <laughs> awesome name. That's a wrestler right there. <laughs> so this uh, the little backstory on Luke's beat. This was uh, what's he say? It was one of the first sessions he did when he moved to Chicago, and it was at Steve Albini's Electrical Audio Studio, which is pretty awesome. neat. So it was all recorded to two inch tape. Um, what's he using? An old nineties Premier Genista kit. Um, yes. And K's Zildjian symbol. So nice big room sound on the cracky snare drum. Dig it. Awesome. Thanks, Luke. Talking about a cracky snare drum sound, I saw Mr. David Allen Weckel last night. Uh, where'd you Oz go? I uh, went to Yoshi's in Oakland. Okay. And uh, uh, Lou, who I don't. Oh, yeah, you met Lou at, uh, yep. at NAMM. So we, uh, we met Lou there because he's in the Bay Area. And uh, I took my band with me. Q and Dino and they'd never been to Yoshi's before. They'd never seen like been to a jazz club before. And mm. so I figured Oznoy was perfect because my guitarist can watch Oz. My bass player can watch Jimmy Haslip and all three of us can just drool over Dave's drum solo. <laughs> uh, so it was fantastic. Had a good sushi dinner nice. and then watched that and, and got some good inspiration and really just tried to pick up on more Davisms, and it's really hard to pick up on Davisms. Like he, he does have things, but he's just got such a beautiful flow to his playing. And mm-hmm. I, the, the thing that's great about seeing Dave play now is I've said this a few times about people like Dave, Vinny, Will Kennedy. Is most of our masters that really became our masters in the eighties um, and nineties, they haven't lost a step and they're still pushing forward. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, like, what does Dave want to do next? You know, that's it's. I have no idea. Uh, I, I mean, I know that he's got his online school, right? And uh, and I know that he's creating new content for that. But I don't, I don't know how much of a passion that is for him because I haven't seen it. Like, other than just a little advertisement, but I haven't like subscribed to his mm-hmm. online lessons and. Uh, and I, and I might at some point because he is one of my favorite drummers of all time, without a doubt. But I, mean, I don't know if that's a passion for him or if it's a, a requirement. Like, well, I guess I got to do this. Yeah, you know, like, like, is his band still active? His own band? The Dave Weckle band? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, so crazy. I've seen him twice in the last three months, once with Stern, and now yeah. he's on this 30 day tour with Osnoy. Uh, and, you know, I will say this, though, and guitarists hate me if you will. <laughs> but Dave was absolutely restricted last night by Oz's ability to keep time through modulations. Oh, yeah? The, the way that I've seen Dave stretch with Mike Stern and Tom Kennedy, it's mind-boggling. And every time he would get into a little bit of a modulation during like a vamp section, mm-hmm. 
you could see Oz get like look straight at Jimmy Haslip and look down at his foot for the tapping and like mm. it was and and then Dave would in a very cool fashion Dave would pull out of that stuff and just go okay then you'll get my chops tonight but mm-hmm. I'm but when he's playing with Stern it's almost constant modulation messing with time uh, it's pure just brain chaos and then last night and I was expecting that and I couldn't wait for my bandmates to see what Dave can do with time because that's definitely a part of Dave's current playing that gets overlooked is when other people when Chris Dave does it or when someone else, or Benny Greb does it on a Canillas people lose their mind but Dave's doing that constantly always um, yeah it's always it's, it's another level i think it's almost it's so so fluid that it just goes by like i always think of early on when i was getting into weko it was just like well he's playing a lot of stuff i don't know what he's right. doing he's just playing right. a lot of stuff <laughs> right and not and then when i finally started transcribing like dang he's in like a quarter note triplet mode and yeah, subdividing yeah. that and doing all kinds and of stuff that's the thing is i think when dennis does it dennis does it with such a heavy backbeat that it's you don't know what's happening, but you you kind of know what's happening. You just, maybe you haven't figured out the nuts and bolts of it, but it's very obvious that it's happening. Yeah. When Dave does it, it takes really, really grounded musicians to be able to hang through it. And that's what I love. The one thing I love about Stern is he looks like he is high out of his mind and doesn't even know where he is. <laughs> and then when Dave does that, Stern never loses a beat, ever. He yeah. is so solid with his internal clock that Dave can go out. And I think that... That was one of those things that, you know, I've, I've seen Dave play a lot, and it was really cool to see him say, okay, I'm going to adjust my drumming so that this show comes off really well, rather than just dominate you, and if you can keep up, great, and if you can't, then later, bro. Um, because it wasn't the Dave Weckl band. It's the Osnoy Trio. So Yeah, you, right. Yeah. You, right? He's so, your employer. <laughs> exactly. You want your gig, you want your paycheck tomorrow? So anyways, it, it was it was great. Yeah. My band had an awesome time. It was great to spend some time with Lou and talk about the future of the Groove Scribe, which we're just gonna continue to by the way, there is an update for the Groove Scribe, uh, and you don't have to install anything, it's a web based program. So uh, for any of you that have used the Groove Scribe in the past, in the upper right corner you'll see something that says permutations. You can write out any hi-hat and snare pattern you want just click that button permutations and it'll completely fill in a uh, 16 bar grid of uh single double and triple bass drums for you nice so right so and it'll do the same thing with the snare if you do hi-hat and kick you just click on snare permutations and the snare will permutate for 16 bars singles doubles and triples I had a question about the oh so on the mobile version i had a hard time getting different articulations on the snare like everything was just like an accent yeah, you just have to hit edit. Edit. Um, okay. Edit mode. It's it, edit mode is like holding the shift down um, or right clicking. So yeah. as soon as you hit edit mode, then every note you click, it'll bring up the full menu for it. Ah, okay. That would have solved yeah. that. But uh, our goal is to introduce an app so that you're not reliant on internet to use this. Yeah. Cool. Platform, and then that way, then you'd be allowed to save your grooves into set lists and everything like that. Because I think it'd be great to open up your app, have a set list of grooves on a gig where you're maybe not the normal drummer and just play real quick like in your ears one bar of the groove for this song that you don't really remember the name of and it's like oh yeah now i got it yeah Um, yeah that'd be cool rather than just the tempo or even reading it if you could just play it real quick for a lot of drummers especially the ones that don't read that's what the groove scribe was really meant for was people that struggle with reading we gave them the tab version of drumming and then we kick out the notation for them so Nice. Dig it. Yeah, well, buddy. That gets us right into educational mode, huh? 
I love education. <laughs> I hate learning, man. I oh, hate learning. <laughs> no, I don't. I love it. I I thrive off it. Come on, man. We're talking about eighth notes and sextuplets. Yeah. So what we're talking about is the bane of my existence for the past six weeks. <laughs> it's transitioning from eighth note to sixteenth note triplets and maintaining a strong sense of where that offbeat eighth note lands. I know I've talked about it last time we talked about this topic with singles. If you just do four eighth notes and then single stroke uh, two sets of sextuplets, I have a hard time maintaining that left that lands on the and. I still do. I'm counting out loud. I'm playing with a metronome. I'm doing all that stuff. I still feel like I'm swimming past it. So you want to up the ante even further, play those 16th note triplets as double strokes, and then the and is going to land on the second note of a double. And if you're like me, you're going to want to quit, and you're going to have to go back to 40 BPM and start all over again. (laughs) Okay, so first thing, let's get this out of the way. How do you count 16th note triplets? Um, I don't. I just make sounds. Okay, so you sing it. Okay, so one of the things that you guys can do, I've never been a fan of the one triplet, two triplet, or the one lolly, two lolly, or triplet, triplet, because it introduces one, it steals the number out of the pulse. And then the other thing, well, if you're doing triplet, 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 if you did seven of those, you might not know you're on the seventh one eventually. The other thing is, it doesn't really give me a language that I can speak with other musicians that might have been studied. So generally I count eighth note triplets, one and a, two and a, and then with 16th note triplets, I just count those twice if I have to. So one and a, one and a, two and a, two and a, three and a, mm. three and a, four and a, four and a. Uh, it's funny that 16th note triplets and 32nd notes don't have a set in stone music theory. This is how they are counted. You know, I think it's because they're so hard to say when you get right. to that certain speed. I mean, you're right. going to slow yourself down just by trying to say that stuff. That's say, why yeah, I yeah. do it. Singing it is great. Uh, you know, and so for this rhythm, uh, for number one that he's written out, we've got a four-bar phrase, two beats of eighth notes followed by two beats of sixteenth note triplets. So one and two and three and a three and a four and a four and a one and two. That happens twice, then a full bar of eighth notes, then a full bar of sixteenth note triplets. I would say before even getting into this, and we can start the conversation here, you need to be able to play this as singles before you tackle his sticking pattern. Yeah, exactly, which was part one of this series. So this is Bill Bachman's Eights and Sixes article series. That's, we're actually, we just opened up the April issue. So if you want to follow along, it's the one with the Reader's Poll uh, winners, which we'll come back to. But So this is the second part. The first part focused on that single-stroke version, which I think we probably covered last month or something. Right. And then from there, I think you need to be able to play eighth note triplets as double strokes, not 16th note triplets. You need to feel something that was meant to be felt in groups of three, Mm -hmm. but in groups of four. So if you can find two separate surfaces and literally just count eighth note triplets out loud, one and a two and a, while playing right, right, left, left, one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four and a. And just get used to even saying that while playing. That's going to help. And then eventually you can internalize the pulse of those triplets and then take that to the 16th note triplet version of this, mm-hmm. which is the big kid stuff. Now, here's here's where my brain melts. So example one, it's okay. phrased as eighth notes and 16th note triplets. Example right. two, it's written as eighth notes and eighth note triplets, eighth note triplets. with double strokes on each of the eighth note triplet partials. 
Right. Psychologically, I go from thinking, all right, eighth note pulse to a quarter note pulse. But it's the exact same rhythm. So there's no, there's, I have a hard time looking at example two, which has eighth note triplets, and counting the eighth notes through the triplets. And then say, vice right. versa, if I play number one, which is sixteenth note triplets, which naturally is divided in eighth note subdivisions, to then think triplets over top of that. You see why my brain is just melting on this seemingly <laughs> beginner basic stuff? Because I'm all about controlling that middle note. And right. if I shift into a triplet mode, the time becomes quarter note based, and that's not good for me because then I'm losing all that subdivision control. I want right. to be able to count eighth notes through all of these exercises. That's the goal. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And putting that and of the eighth note over the top of eighth note triplets gives you a three over two polyrhythm that you don't really want that to be doing. Shouldn't to be the right there. Field. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's tough is if you were to count the eighth note triplet and you were diddling the notes. So if if my hands were playing uh, just solid one bar, one and uh, two and uh, three and uh, four and uh, you you need to even get used to playing two notes with one hand diddling and only saying one thing with your voice like yeah. one and uh two and uh three and uh four and uh one and uh two and uh three and uh i mean i'm accenting it just to display it but even that was tough i remember trying to play two notes with my hand and my my voice would just go one one i was like Whoa, <laughs> what just happened like why can't i physically do something and only say what like i want to play two notes and say one note yeah uh, fortunately so, yeah, for me like marching band drilled that into my sure my, my mentality where you play a, you think a subdivision and you can double any one of those with a double stroke so that that helps but i don't like i don't like the inaccuracy of shifting subdivisions and not being able to maintain the smaller subdivision that's what's driving me nuts so mm-hmm. going from eights to triplets and we just like okay it sort of gets faster what actually <laughs> that fourth note of your of your double stroke triplet is going to land exactly on the and yeah 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 so that's what's driving me absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and 40 that, years and that old. Fourth, <laughs> no, that fourth note, I mean, it, it sounds simple until you actually look at the notation, but that fourth note is the second stroke of your double, and that's yeah. that's where we're not used to having that be the downbeat of, or the backbeat of anything. Right. And I think that that, you know, number three in his example really is where things would go south for most people, where you have to accent those ands and you're feeling the and as the true pulse yep um but at the same time this type of work i think this type of work for the modern drum set drummer is so much more important than some of the craziness that we see out there because if you can have this whatever you play will have command and control yeah you won't be swimming around the beat and that's that, that for me it's gotten to be such like a like I wasn't aware of it, and now I'm aware of it. And whenever I hear it, it makes my teeth grind. I'm like, Ugh, you're, you know, like the subdivisions are not there, and it's driving me right. nuts. So yeah, that number three would be the one that I think for me. I'm going to spend a lot of time with that, even if I don't accent the ands, because I think he he marked it as like a staccato note, which I think right. is just like a subtle accent, meaning. Um, even just trying to think, count just the offbeats and play these exercises. It's all going back to counting out loud. I've been talking about that forever with yeah. students and friends. Like, remember when your first drum teacher said count out loud? Well, go back and do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, um, I, uh, by the way, uh, I have my first, I, I, I can't even promote it because I don't even know the actual date, but I have my first event coming up 
with my old teacher, Will Kennedy. Nice. And we were talking on the phone recently because we're, uh, I think it's just the two of us. We're doing uh, a clinic, I think maybe in Mobile, Alabama. And then I'm going from that to to the Ireland camp. But so it's in, it's sometime in August. Anyways, one thing I remember about our early lessons, because they were all video based, we weren't in a room together. I was sending him videos. He was sending me video responses was he would, he would say, watch your video back and watch your body. Like your Mm. body is not moving in the pulse of the music. So how could you expect the sound coming out of your drums to convey that pulse? You can't Mm. even feel it. Your the drumming is almost taking control of your entire body because the drumming is so difficult for you until you can keep a solid pulse wet, wherever you keep it. Some people keep it in their neck. Some people keep it in their shoulders, but he could, he could just see that I was like literally break dancing around the drum part because yeah. it was so difficult for me to even play. He's like, there's no way you can convey pulse if you can't even feel the pulse yourself through that, the thing. Yeah. That's another one of those things that, that we just gloss over the fact that you really have to kind of dance in time while you're playing anything i think that's right. really important and I, I think miles davis even said that like he wouldn't hire a drummer who didn't walk in some kind of a pulse you know like a proper he didn't move his body in in, in rhythm yeah no, um, absolutely yeah that's that's definitely a good one to keep in mind i don't know i mean i think we can overdo it by like banging our heads or whatever but i think it's more important you just your body's in some sort of a flow and you don't right. let the drumming disrupt jerk that you flow. around yeah. exactly yeah and i think that when that happens it even takes away from your time to move your body out of time so how could right. it yeah. possibly be right and and it can be super subtle uh you know I, i'm always amazed by non-drummers so anybody that's playing an instrument other than drums where it's like i don't really hear them rush or drag that often why are we so bad at it like yeah, right. when i go see like a, a trio led by a, a pianist the pianist i never think like oh he's really pushing the pulse here maybe i just can't <laughs> hear it because of the nature of the instrument but everyone else in the world seems to have great time except for the people responsible for the time it's just the acoustic guitarists they're the worst <laughs> <laughs> All right, Osnoy fans, you can write me. Acoustic guitarist, you can write Mike. Uh, he knows. By the way, it. I had a great time. Yeah, I had a great time at Osnoy's show, <clears throat> but Dave took it easy on him. I literally, I at one point, kind of shouted, "Don't hurt him, Dave!" <laughs> Dave started bending the time, and, uh, and I was like, "Oh God, he's gonna poor Oz is gonna fall off the stage oh, with this one." Man, well, I mean, uh, yeah, that, there's a there's definitely a lesson there, like. I, I, I try to never be the smartest guy, quote unquote, on stage. Like, I don't want to be the one that's confusing my 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 band. Right. Mates. And like I said, I, I, I mean, I don't want to get up too off topic, but I, it was cool to see that Dave wasn't like, well, no matter what, this stuff is happening. Like mm-hmm. I'm flexing. You know, it was kind of like, OK, cool. This is the this is the parameters for tonight. I'll stick within it. Now, <laughs> that is related to this, though. When you can feel that pulse, I think it starts here. But if you think about. Our boy Carter, he has that ability to bend time as well because his internal pulse is so solid. I think Aaron Sterling does the same thing when he's not doing the pop gig. And it's like, it's weird. You know the modulation has taken place, but you still feel safe because you know that they know where the true pulse is. And they almost convey it through just subtle accents and everything. And it's, it's still there. And then when they hit that crash on the one and they release it, release the tension... You you don't feel like you were scared for them the whole time. You were like, <laughs> right. "Thank you, thank you for taking me on a journey that I'm not advanced enough to handle on my own." Yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that's what defines greatness in my mind is 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 that internal clock like definitive. 
no matter yeah. what you do, it doesn't it doesn't mess you up. You can kind of push it and pull it if you need to, but as uh, long as you know that you're pushing it and pulling it, right? You know? Exactly. Uh, and so, very cool. Everyone, please check out Bill Bachman's uh, article in the Strictly Technique section. It's called Eights and Sixes. And, uh, and I think, and if you need any kind of uh, emotional support, you can you can send me a note at mdinfo at <laughs> Mike, I hate you. I hate this whole thing. All right, let's talk about somebody that's got fantastic internal pulse, and I think really, really exemplifies what it means to have that Brazilian lope to their drumming, where it's not swung, it's not straight, it has culture inside of every note and that's kiko freitas yeah so uh kiko we haven't done a f- official feature on him but he did win the the world category in the reader's poll so i thought this would be appropriate time he kind of uh, he's i think we we meaning modern drummer community has overlooked kiko for too long and it's time to you know for all of us start paying attention to him he he's I don't. I mean, in my observation, he's the premier jazz, Latin jazz, Brazilian jazz drummer in Brazil. Um, he's amazing. So he won. Congratulations, Kiko, for winning the world category. Those of you who may not be familiar with him, um, just go to his YouTube page and live there for a while. There's so Agreed. much, so much there. Um, we're going to check out one of his videos, but. Um, if you want to check out some recordings, so um, first of all, let's, let's listen to some music before we listen to a drum solo. So this is the song uh, Vento Bravo by the Noso Trio. We're going to check out a little bit of that. So, first thing I want to say about Kiko is thank you for not quantizing your phrasing, <laughs> to, to allowing your phrasing to have a lobe and have some space and have your limbs not be locked up and, and down have vertically. Life. Yeah. yeah, I mean it almost sounds so strange now because I think we're all kind of so accustomed to this ultra precise drumming that you hear someone that's like, "Oh, the bass drum is not aligning with the snare drum. He must have made a mistake." Right. No, it's, it's just it's, his vibe. It's wonderful. And, I mean, that's the one thing that I don't know. I'm trying to think maybe uh, Daphne. Uh, is it Daphne's or Daphne? Daphne's. Daphne's uh, Prieto. Like, we don't have a lot of Brazilian or even just Latin uh, fusion drummers that have crossed over to us. I mean, I remember hearing this type of thing. The first time I heard it was on the Modern Drummer Festival when, uh, even though it's Cuban, when um, uh, Horacio came over and oh, he was yeah. playing with Patatucci. Brecker. And I, yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, I've, I've never heard this stuff before. And what's cool is when you get to hear this stuff and it's not so pushed to either the Brazilian side or the Cuban side or the Afro-Cuban side that it's completely foreign. Like, we hear a, a traditional jazz fusion snare drum right away and it's like oh i know what this is like i have that instrument and yeah. i hear a ride cymbal uh rather than all percussion and and just chaos so uh, i remember the first time i heard him play 
Kiko, it was definitely on YouTube. It was one of those early YouTube videos, and he was just jamming with a, a trio or maybe a quartet, but I, I hadn't heard anything like that before. I had heard the Afro-Cuban side of fusion, but I hadn't heard the Brazilian side of fusion, and it mm-hmm. was just, to me... This is not something that I had to study so that I could be a well-rounded teacher. I actually truly love this stuff. Yeah, I think it's it's so. I mean, it, it's such beautiful music to begin with, and right. it's, just, it's so just human, and yeah. just, it, it's so different. <laughs> That's what I think is special for me. It's almost like it's kind of got some New Orleans kind of vibe to it, but not really. It's this airy kind of. I don't even know airy is a, is a really good way to to describe it, and nothing. Is is heavy sounding at all? All even his accents are you know would be our ghost notes, um, but it's just it's it's just beautiful drumming. And I think you need to see him play because when you see him play, it's there's something about him that's also tangible. Where when I watch him, I'm truly inspired to actually play. I'm not driven to quit the instrument. Yeah, you know who he reminds uh, me of? He reminds hmm. me of a Brazilian version of Jeff Hamilton. Like Ooh, everything just call. feels big and just comfortable and super yeah. relaxed but yet you know, really modern and hip i mean just feels I, like human like a just a big bear hug <laughs> i feel yeah i feel like he's the type of drummer that would crush the drum retreat thing where we all sit around his kit indian leg style and just sit around and like watch uncle kiko just crush right. it and we don't need earplugs and it's just like this is amazing so if you want to do a retreat anywhere kiko just get a hold of me MikeandMikesLessons.com. <laughs> All right, let's, now, <laughs> let's drop in where he drops some heat. So this is the solo on his uh, YouTube page called Improv- Improviso Samba Samba Groove Improvisation. We're going to check out this whole Mamma Jamma. snare hi-hat ride cymbal tambourim i think yep and that's it left side and that's it and this reminds me of god i think it was when i was showing you a richard spaven track and we were talking about the time since you said i i honestly don't care what time it's in (laughs) when i watch kiko play that's exactly how i feel it's like i don't i don't want to count this just feels amazing it's in one 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 (laughs) one one. there's a pulse somewhere (laughs) and it feels great and uh yeah and I also really dig his technique because he plays for sound, not for showing the most flawless technique, no matter what. Like, if it takes this thing, whereas, you know, when he plays the, that big crescendoing single stroke roll, his left hand is coming in kind of sideways. But mm. it's so it's like coming in sideways, like you would expect from a traditional grip, but he's doing it with matched grip. But it's getting this rim shoddy, almost timbali sound of, and it, it's just awesome, man. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's cool. he definitely he's a great sound all day. So, do you know much about what he's up to right now? I mean, is he just the dude that plays all of this? You know, all the fusion gigs in Brazil. Yeah, I mean, he's just touring, playing. Uh, it's not Stud. just in Brazil; he's all over the world. I mean, he's got credits in in the American fusion scene too, with Frank Gambale and Lee Rittenauer and in that world. But yeah, he's he's just playing. I mean, he's been awesome. a pro. I mean, he's he's what is he fifty? He's been a pro since 1987, so I mean, his track yeah. record does not it's not short. <laughs> well, everyone, please check out Kiko Freitas. He definitely deserves some attention from all of us. And it's a uh, if you want to find him on YouTube, it's K I K O F R E I T A S. Cool. We're going to just send it out with a little bit more from the Noso Trio. This is Reposta. show uh drop for dream symbols so they have another dream hang coming up on the it's march 7th at uh church recording studio in pittsburgh pennsylvania so anyone listening if you're in the pittsburgh area go to um it's 4 p.m to 8 p.m again it's at church recording studio go to facebook they have an event page set up so just search for the dream hang pittsburgh you'll find it you can rsvp there apparently the one they did down at fame studio was was really great they said a lot of podcast listeners came out so i'm glad you're out and supporting them Um, i think now more than ever it's important for us as a community to support everyone's events Um, so even if you don't play dream symbols go hang say what's up check them out they're going to have I think he said another 50 symbols to, to demo and sell off. Scott Pellegrom's going to be there to do his madness. Uh, but yeah. they also just set up kits and just everyone that shows up, you can just play. It's not a clinic. It's just come check out stuff. So that's March 7th, Church Recording Studio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. The Dream Hang, Pittsburgh. Nice. All right, time to check out these Roger snares that everyone's been asking me about. I've been like biting my lip because everyone's been asking me about these drums. Really? Okay, so my first question, I'm looking at the article right now on mm-hmm. uh, moderndrummer.com. Is the one at the top, that's not a new one, is it? Yeah. Dang. Yeah, there, no, this was, when I caught wind that, they were, that Roger's USA was going to come back, um, they even, you know, asked us what our thoughts about that and and my one opinion was if it's not true to the original don't bother because that dinosonic snare drum has such a historical place in a lot of drummers minds that if you come out with a generic snare drum and just call it the dinosonic you're going to get destroyed so this is true to form um, original hardware style everything's the same no I mean that's uh, the hardware was what threw me off I was like that looks no that's yeah. I guess the only thing would be that on the throw off it's got um, uh, the I guess the I don't even know what you would call them but the tension rods that hold the strings together are drum key style. Yeah. Would, and not would they have been screws back in the day, I would yeah. assume? Yeah. yeah. Been so that would have been the only things. giveaway. But honestly, that throw looks like it's from the 50s or 60s. Yeah. It's a faithful uh, reaper. And I think even 
um, the company who's making these drums, they originally started out by reproducing the hardware for people who owned original Dynasonics, and okay. had, you know the the strainers were busting. So they started out like you know they they owned the patents for that stuff, so they reproduced all that, and then it was like, well, why don't we just make new Dynasonics? There's clearly a, a market for it. Um, okay, so this drum, this is a an odd drum. Um, if you're not familiar with the classic Rogers Dynasonic. It's a snare drum, but what is what is unusual is the snare mechanism itself. Um, it has two two components to it. So the actual throw off arm that we think of on a snare drum, the, the lever that raises the wires up and down, that is designed to work independently from the tension that's actually on the wires themselves. So the throw off, there's like a gate there that kind of contains the wires, and when you engage the throw off, that literally just raises the wires up against the head. It doesn't pull on them in any way. And then you have so it's, it's not tension. pulling the snares from one side to the other yeah, to so get it no, tight. There's no horizontal tension via the throw off itself. It's just strictly right. a vertical lift the wires, release the wires. So you dial in the amount of actual snare buzz that you want with a separate thumb screw that pulls the wires horizontally out gotcha so it's designed to where you can you can get a really sensitive snare sound but not have it rattle too much that's kind of where this drum lives it gives you the insane sensitivity all the way out to the edge without having to introduce extra buzz and rattle mm. it's pretty dope you want to check it okay, out first so, yeah and, and what are we checking out are we checking out a five or a six and a half the one, the red onyx finish one that, that I reviewed is six and a half. So we'll check that one out first. Okay. If you go to moderndrummer.com, you can check out the whole, it's like an eight-minute demo. Because I, what I did was I went from as high as the batter head would go. And I think I started by engaging the internal muffler a little bit. So you're getting the sound, the kind of driest sound that this drum will produce. And then I turned the internal muffler off and did another demo. And then backed it down a quarter turn until I got to the lowest possible tuning. So it's, it's eight minutes of of me playing the same beat if you really care to check it out but <laughs> I, I do i mean the, uh, first of all the drum sounds fantastic and just because i did get a chance to play one of these before nam uh the guy that we were talking about earlier in the podcast lou he has one of these and i remember just being slightly stunned uh, this mm-hmm. is not a drum you know i mean my knowledge of classic drums really didn't even start until very recently when I started getting into classic Gretsch drums and then classic Ludwig drums. So the even though I've always known the name of the Di- Dynasonic 
snare, Rogers was not a, a company that was really on my radar as far as like, oh, I want to go back and check that out. Mm-hmm. So I've never played in an original one. But when Lou brought in his the new one, I was really blown away by just, I was like, man, this is kind of an amazing drum. Yeah, it has, for to my ears, it has all all the stuff that I love about an old snare drum, the kind of mid-rangey, punchy, dry, right. dark the punch. Vibe. Yeah. yeah, the punchiness, I think, is really what defines it. But it's almost like you turned up the the high end of the EQ just a little bit, like a little bit of extra air, which reminds yeah, you that no. it's a new modern drum. It's got a great sizzle, and I would say, you know, compared to some of the drums that we've reviewed in the past, this might have one of the highest levels of, uh, I guess, flexibility in tuning ranges. It sounds pretty fantastic at all of them. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't anything super wonky in the mid range. Super versatile. Yeah, it's a fun drum. I think I think if you own a, an old kit and you want to get a snare drum that kind of matches it timbre wise, because that that's something we have never really discussed. If you have like a '50s '60s drum set and you have a super modern snare drum, it's it, a lot of times it's just too much drum. <laughs> right. It just overpowered. This sits perfectly with an old vintage kit. I definitely envision Steve Jordan. This is a drum that he would use a lot that vibe Uh, absolutely I mean you could play like straight ahead jazz and in in the demo you heard there's you know just I didn't change the tuning I just went from hitting backbeats to just playing swing and it did both Um, so yeah now now do you need this contraption Um, that's something you gotta check out it took me a couple minutes to figure out which parameter did what <laughs> you okay, know like what sure. was i looking for when i loosened the throw off versus loosened the the wire tension itself um and i don't know maybe if you're really rough with your gear if you if the bottom if that gate thing gets bent up it's probably not going to work right all that said i didn't have any issues with it structurally once i got it dialed in it was about as sensitive as you could imagine and it didn't have a ton of sympathetic buzz which i think that's where this drum excels you can get that it's a dry drum yeah, when you're almost, playing your kit almost a choked sound but right. without it choking if that makes yeah, sense. yeah like i mean it's a choked sound when you're playing your kit toms and your bass drum but it's not choked when you hit a backbeat on it yeah exactly. Uh, now did you notice anything different in the five or did it feel fairly similar to you um it just yeah kind of what i expected it's very okay. similar sound uh, the five i felt would be more like the acoustic jazz or you know that kind of sound whereas i think for studio where you want to have some big you know mid-range backbeats and stuff the six and a half was better i like the six and a half more for what i do but if i was playing a lot of acoustic jazz i would have gone with the five and a half for sure i will say after seeing these at uh they were at the uh big bang booth mm-hmm. right yep. and they had probably about 30 or 40 of them there they're they're incredibly well made. Uh, yeah. Now, do we have any idea where this thing's going to be priced yet? Uh, I don't have that info. But it's, uh, no, I mean yeah, it's not in the article, and I just didn't know where this thing was going to land. And I don't think they even mentioned it at Nam. It's um, not. They're not super super boutiquey priced. Um, oh really? No, they're not. It's it's kind of what you expect for a, a nice high end snare drum. Cool. Uh, well, it's, they're, it's they're pretty show. amazing. Uh, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned Nam because they had they had like maybe six snare drums on that rack, uh-huh. and I went over and tapped them all. And I was talking to um, Ken, the guy who basically just designed all this stuff, and I was like tapping through. I was like, "That's the, the one on top." I was like, "That's the one." He's like, "Yeah, that's the one that's not getting sold. That's mine." <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> it's like there was one on top like that. It's got some extra something special in so. it. <laughs> and this is a, the shell's a, a, what, a maple poplar shell with poplar re-rings? Is that what you're reading? <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's a it's a fine No, it's shell. what I feel. It's what I know from my Rogers due diligence, bro. Yeah, it's uh, a five ply shell with poplar in, in in the middle. Yeah. Got it. Okay, that literally just happened to me about a week ago. I was talking to Lou on the phone about my new classic Gretsch drum and he goes he goes, Does it have the rocket lugs? And I was like, Rock did you just listen to the drum history podcast about Gretsch drums? And he's like, yeah, maybe. I'm like, you don't know what the hell rocket lugs are. What are you talking about? Or does it have rocket lugs? I know what you listened to. I know where you got your information yesterday. And yes, maybe I read that it was a applied shell between maple and poplar. All right. Well, everyone, head over to moderndrummer.com. Check out the product close up, the Rogers USA Dinosonics. They're 800 bucks if you want to know. They're 800 bucks on Sweetwater and various other online outlets. Awesome. That sounds great. You know, listening to you play this just reminded me if Gretsch does decide to turn my prototype into a production model we're gonna have to bring in like carter for the gear review portion of it because i can't be a part of it i'd be so nervous like <laughs> like hearing you talk about my drum my baby i've been working on this thing for years with gretch and i yeah carter's gonna have to do that thing either carter or mark you know right, we'll get keith carlock to do it how about that <laughs> no and god no he's, he's actually keith and mark are both out because they're gretch artists but carter is a is he's ludwig he can be very unbiased and that that would be great but uh and I, I don't even know if i could listen to the review if you're if you because if you said even like yeah it was a little wonky in the mid-range i'd be like wonky your tuning's wonky <laughs> talking about my baby oh man i got i mean i'm not going to mention any of the companies but i i this just by happenstance i've reviewed three identical drum sets in the span of like four weeks okay like same sizes not identical drum sets, same sizes, but very different drums. Okay. And, you know, if, I mean, it was night and day. The one that I think is the primo, night and day difference from the one I thought was the the weakest of the three. I mean. Really? And these are like high-end professional kits. Wow. I mean, to get into that level, we're like, whoa, everything about this is right. Everything about that is, is close. <laughs> you know, it's wow. like. It's pretty crazy. I'm not going to, I definitely can't anybody under the bus at the moment but because i didn't have any problems with any of them and if i would have right. just reviewed each one separately it would have been like yeah of course it's an awesome drum set but to do like but one since you had another back to back, after sure. another i was like whoa this is just so much better <laughs> like, yeah like, i'm gonna make whoa. sure you only review fiberglass <laughs> snare drums before we send you mine and then you're gonna be like oh my god what, so much what's body. the size of it again five and a half Four, yes five and a half by 14 maple maple gum it, it is no. It's uh, it started with a Brooklyn shell, so it's maple, then four plies of poplar, then maple. Okay, so I've and got then, to, I've got to get someone to build me a oh, maple. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you do that? Don't you do that? All right, let's get into some listener uh, questions. Okay. Uh, all right, first one. This is this would be short and sweet. This is from Dominic. Um, any thoughts on why Dream symbols are not carried by many dealers? Do you think more dealers will jump on board with Dream this year? I really want to try their stuff, but can't find a dealer where I can try them for myself. So go to Dream's hangs that are happening. They're going to be happening all over. Um, I think they're focusing on the East Coast here uh, in the next few months. But 
and also go to the website, sign up for the newsletter, contact them. They're good people. They will tell you where to find some dream symbols. And also go to your local shop and say, hey, can you get some dream symbols in? Honestly, as somebody that used to work in retail, I can tell you right now that is literally the best thing you can do. Our owner would come in and just say, hey, what are you guys hearing? And we would say, yeah, everyone's talking about this new Pearl Masters Mm-hmm. Masterworks, master something, you know, at the time, this is in the late 90s. And he would say, okay, I'll get the Pearl rep to come down next week and we'll put in an order. I mean, that's literally how it worked. It never was anything politically that you think. It was just, what are the customers asking for? And let's get it in here. So exactly. go to your shop, tell them you want to check out some dream symbols, and then it, it, it gets the ball rolling. All right, the next one also kind of, this is kind of tongue in cheek as well. This is from our, our buddy Big Al. Hey, he wants to know why we were ripping on the center lug drum kits. <laughs> whoa, 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 slow he's, down. Why was Dawson ripping on center lug drum kits? And he I didn't sent a picture of his gorgeous CNC kit with, with center lugs. <laughs> oh, no. Big Al, we were ripping on your kit. <laughs> yeah, Most of them are really good. It's just that one. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, uh, so for you, what is it? Is it a tuning issue? It's, I think... Those kits back in the day were offered as a cheaper alternative because there were fewer lugs, so it was just a cheaper. Sure. So the problem is the extra long lugs on the bigger toms, they're going to get bent eventually. So You mean tension rods? Yeah, the, yeah, the tension rods. The right. tension rods okay. themselves. You're going to knock into one, it's going to get bent, and you're not going to be able to tune your drum. It's just that. And then the 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 tuning flexibility of some of those older versions of this, it's just not as detailed, the tuning. Okay. But the new CNC player date stuff, it's great. I mean, the new yeah. club dates by Ludwig, they're great. I I just think the older stuff, you have to be careful. That's all. all right. There we go. Take that, Al. Your kid is beautiful, by the way. <laughs> Your 12-inch uh, Tom is. The rest looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Where do we go here? <laughs> Uh, okay, this is from Steve. I have a bass drum-related question. This is Steve Smith, not to be confused with Steve Smith. Um, <laughs> I know it is very common for drummers to play four on, the flo- four on the floor in popular music as opposed to playing on one and three. However, whenever I play four on the floor, it feels plodding and unnatural, and I typically revert back to one and three. Is this something either of you have ever encountered, and what determines for each of you whether you play a four on the floor or the basic beat? Mm. I honestly think this is very similar to why non-jazz fans, why why they can't play jazz. Even if they can physically play it, it doesn't sound like jazz. If you don't fall in love with music that is four on the floor driven, and if you don't feel that, it's going to feel really almost stupid to you to play a bass drum pattern that simple if you don't understand the role of the bass drum in that music it's just going to feel silly you're going to feel like drummers are drummers are judging you it's like i should do something cooler even one and three feels cooler because then you're giving the snare some space if you fall in love with music that has four on the floor and you understand the drive of four on the floor you start to use it to your advantage and you play with authenticity and it won't feel plotting at all yeah exactly i mean i think for me it's the opposite perspective if i'm playing a song that needs that and i don't do it i feel like i'm not providing enough power that's yeah i just feel like i'm not doing the song right and it's uh, for me it's 100 percent crowd motivated are we trying to make people dance or we just up here having fun if we're trying to make people dance then i'm going to default more to the four on the floor the other thing is four on the floor can be used as one of your 
one of your kind of ammunition tricks as far as okay the song will be one and three but when we hit that bridge i'm going four on the floor and we're going to push this thing or i'm going to save it for the last chorus to really take it over the edge because it does do that there's there are obviously a few styles of music that have four on floor four on the floor through the whole entire thing but sometimes you just use it to your advantage like all right i'll play the song the way it is all the way till that last chorus and then we go four on the floor on the kick and we just push it into overdrive you know that brings up something that that I kind of teach in my my clinics and lessons that you probably haven't practiced over top of a quarter note enough. I think that's probably the biggest Agreed. problem. Like I think sit down and trying to make music with your other three limbs while the bass drum just plays quarter notes. I mean that you could spend hours, weeks, months just trying to get that kind of freedom. And the clarity. I mean, you you know, it, unless you're Kiko, uh, you, in in most four on the floor stuff, you don't want to be flaming with the right. kick. And just having that, uh, if you feel restrained when you play it, it's because what Mike said, you haven't practiced enough over it. But just know that what you're going through is normal. You're just going to have to change your perspective a little bit and also find the songs that take advantage of what that does. Um, I, I definitely, I think coming into the scene as a, I don't know, a complicated rock drummer, because when I came on the scene and started touring, rock was not acdc anymore it was deftones it was syncopated it was broken up Mm -hmm. and so four on the floor to me was silly it was like i'm never going to use this and then when i quit touring and started doing like the weekend gigging drummer thing it was in a lot of music and i thought it only existed in techno and disco and that was it and then (laughs) i found it in so many things that really needed it yeah modern Uh, country it's almost every mid-tempo country song has four on the floor anymore Yeah. yeah Go play at your local church and don't play four on the floor. Everyone falls down. It's horrible. <laughs> All right. Our last question comes from Mike. Um, I started playing drums when I was 10, but didn't take any lessons until about three years ago. Uh, I have a passion for tutoring and teaching and, and have been wanting to start giving drum lessons, but I'm afraid I'm not a good enough drummer to teach. Am I overthinking it? Ooh. Two teachers about to give you some advice. Yeah, why don't you go first? <laughs> okay, so my advice is pretty simple. There needs to be a decent amount of distance between you and the person you're teaching. So if that distance is proper, you're more than welcome to teach. It doesn't you don't have to be the greatest drummer in the world. You just have to be very cognizant of that distance. And then when a student comes in that might be a little too close to where you're at, if you're at the point where you're having to learn their lesson every week before they come in, you should pass them on to another teacher that can help them with their future much better than you can. And there's nothing to be ashamed of in doing that. I have no problem calling a friend and saying, look, this, this guy is out of my league. This chick's out of my league. Can you take over? I know all the players in town that major in whether it be hand technique or jazz or symphonic percussion. And I have all of my outlets that I can pass students on to if I just can't handle them anymore. But if you have a passion for teaching, then I think you should go for it because really the key to teaching drums is not teaching drums. The key to teaching drums is inspiring someone to not quit the damn drums. I have nothing to add. That was perfect response. We should start a podcast about that. It'd be called the Mike Podcast. I'll just talk about my passion for teaching. Uh, But no, I mean, don't you think that that's kind of the key? I mean, that's. I think the fact that you said I have a passion for teaching—that's all you need to know. Then you just have to make sure you're you're delivering the informed information to your students, and especially if you're talking about teaching beginners, I think 
if you've been playing drums your whole life, you're going to have enough knowledge and experience to teach a beginner. And I can't even tell you how much better you're going to get at the drums by teaching the drums because you're going to have to relearn your basics on a very deep level and you're going to benefit so much from it. Yeah, I think I think we're at a unique age and we've hinted at this before. There's so much stuff available. Like back in the day when at least when I was coming up, it was like you go to your teacher and they're supposed to know everything about everything. They're supposed to know the molar method and how to play advanced rudimental drumming and double bass and jazz. Heel up, heel down, traditional, heel up, everything. And today it's like, okay, if, if you really want to learn hand technique, I can get you to a point, but then you got to go to Bill Bachman's website. You know, like I, I feel like right. there's so much stuff out there now that it's like, okay, I, I can get you to the point. If you want to go the extra level, then then I can point you. I think it's more like you're guiding the curriculum more than anything else. But yeah, I would yeah. do it. I would just do it. Using the mean, word passion, I don't have a passion for teaching private lessons, so I feel like I, I'm I'm very selective. But if you have a passion for it, then just do it. Go for it. I, I couldn't agree more. All right, guys, please keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. That's also where you can send your intro and outro grooves. It is now time for pick of the week and i'm excited about this all right because i'm not picking it just to pick it i actually dig it and it's maybe something i wouldn't have dug (laughs) wait a minute are you saying you've never actually liked no 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 no. what i'm saying is if i would have picked this two years ago it would have been uh just to pick it or something like i'm picking this because i've i've kind of changed as a musician and i truly like this uh and i'm really excited about this resource it's an instagram channel and it is called the groove deli all one word the the groove deli and this guy just like drum history is posting all these cool historic clips this guy is just posting things that groove hard by old bands but i mean sometimes it's like total country train beat but it's like the most grooving country train beat from 1972 uh sometimes it's even like one of the most recent ones was fish. And I was like, I'm skipping it. I'm not watching fish. And then I did. And I was like, yeah, that grooves pretty hard. Uh, so whatever he posts, it just grooves, but it's usually old clips, leave on helm, whoever, um, lots of old R and B stuff, stuff that you would have never seen. Like there's no way to find this footage. I don't know where he's getting it from, but it's like, if he's going to post a clip of Chuck Berry, it's because it's the most grooving clip ever of Chuck Berry. Where you just go like, damn, I didn't know they did that stuff. So it's really nice. cool. The Groove Deli. Looks like he he or she has created a Spotify playlist to accompany all of his, his or her posts as well. Awesome stuff. So yeah, check it out. And uh, it, it's, it's really quite cool stuff. Awesome. My pick of the week is a new um, online course by Dan Bailey that just came out this week. Dan Bailey is the drummer with Father John Misty. Um, I started following him on Instagram and just got blown away with his drum sounds. And it was almost like he read my mind and he dropped a course on how to tune drums and how to get drum sounds. So that's the whole thing. It's just How do you spell his drums. last name? Bailey. B-A-I-L-E-Y. It's called the Bailey Method. It is 11, 11 chapters. So each it's broken down with his philosophy on recording. He takes you through like putting drum heads and tuning a rack tom, putting the drum heads on and tuning a floor tom, bass drum, snare drum, getting sounds with two mics, getting you know his entire multi rig setup, and then the cherry on top is he plays three full tracks where he uses three different types of drum sounds: a modern drum sound, kind of Josh Free style, a vintage sound, kind of um, like old Elton John or something. And then like a real, uh, real kind of tight, dead kind of 
trendy uh, sound, vintagey kind of sound, four mic sound. So it's the Bailey method. It's I think it's on Vimeo. Um, it's a hundred fifty dollar course. The coolest part was cool. as as he's tuning the drums and stuff, he kind of throws in little nuggets like, "Oh yeah, if you're getting that basketball sound, then you need to do this." It just kind of happens while he's tuning the drums and stuff. Sure. So it's really neat. But anything, if nothing else, follow his Instagram page. I think he goes by a different handle. It might be like Doctor Richard Bailey or something like that. Yeah, that's that's what is. Uh, one of his personal websites is yeah started dr richard bailey on instagram and if you dig the sounds that he's getting he has a course that that basically breaks down all that stuff boom well that wasn't too bad episode 181 didn't suck (laughs) episode 182 might but episode 181 was on point (laughs) everyone thanks so much for listening If you can, please give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. If there is somewhere that you would like our podcast to end up, a platform that we are not currently on, let us know through mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Mike and I are self-professed rookies at podcasting, so we don't know about this whole world, and we're doing our best every week to make sure that you guys have fun stuff to listen to, but we are always open to suggestions. All right, we're going to send this show off with Dario's beat. This is recorded on a Zoom H5 in the hallway. So we put the Zoom out in the hallway. So this is natural reverb. I thought it was kind of cool. He's using Stop. a Pearl, Pearl Forum Series bass drum, Yamaha Stage Custom Snare, and some Pisces Giant Beat hi-hats. Get it. All right, so we'll see you next week. Maybe. Maybe? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs>